Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 to 11. In the name of Jesus. Knowing Christ. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is uh, uh, no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the one who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has ground for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding the zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as a dung, so that uh, I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, uh, my own from the law, but uh, one that is true faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Amen. It's really great to be here with you today. My name's Isaac, I'm an assistant minister here at our church. Uh, what a fun way to start Mission March and our service together with Jeff. Thanks, mate. That was really uh, great to hear of your work and to join in some of those games together. And now, as we come to this time, we're thinking about this topic of confidence, and we all crave it, don't we? we maybe it's when we're in the job interview, we want to just say exactly what we mean and be confident in that moment. Or on the sporting field, maybe we're somebody who gets on stage a lot, or we just crave to have that comedic timing that's just perfect, right? We want to be sure, have conviction, have confidence in everything that we do. And as a nation, we actually voted for a song that was all about confidence. Uh, in the Triple J Hottest 100 2018, you might know this song that I'm already going to. And when I say as a nation, I just mean the young ones and the hipsters. But, you know, uh, Confidence by Ocean Alley. Here's some of the words that will come up on the screen there. It's all about confidence, baby. And it just keeps on going. It's all about confidence, baby. Again and again and again. Uh, and basically the story in this song is that if you have enough confidence, you will get what you want. It'll come to you eventually. Once you have confidence, everything just falls into place. 
And there's another song that went through my mind this week, Unstoppable by Sia. You know, I put my armour on, show you how strong I am. I'm so powerful. I'm so confident. I'm unstoppable today. We all crave confidence. So when Paul, he says now that he has no confidence in the flesh, but that that's rubbish, it seems that he's challenging this idea of self-esteem, of confidence. Is he saying that Christians, in order to be humble, we need to you know, walk into a job and have no self-esteem, to be totally insecure, or we need to doubt our abilities or our intellect? Well, not quite. He's not saying that we're, we're to be people without confidence in day-to-day life. What he's impressing on us is the need to be confident in one key area of life. See, the source of our confidence is the key question that we must come to grips with today. And if we can ensure confidence in this one area, then it will achieve this incredible outcome for us, the righteousness with God. Now, righteousness, it means a right standing with God. It means that you can be in a relationship with a good God, even though we are sinful. And that's the confidence which matters the most and it's, everything else just seems so tiny in comparison. So that's what we're heading to today. And Paul, he yearns for the Philippians to have confidence in this way. And that's my hope for you guys as well this morning, that we might have a great surety today in Christ. So let's dive into the text today. Paul, he says he has no confidence in the, in the flesh. But what is it? What is it speaking of there? Does he say that confidence in the flesh is the wrong... Sorry, I've, I've written, uh, read that out in the wrong way. I'll, I'll start again there. So Paul, he says he has no confidence in the flesh. But what is it that he knows the flesh can't achieve? What can't it achieve? Well, it, it's all about where our confidence is located. Uh, our first point for today, confidence where it counts and that you can have misplaced confidence, which achieves nothing. See, confidence is great, but we need to be in the right source for it to be effective. And I can vividly remember a moment where I had misplaced confidence in myself, and particularly in my horse riding ability. Um, yeah, uh, I'm from the country, so you'd think it would just come naturally, right? Um, we grew up doing other things, more of a motorbike kind of guy. But I went on this crew camp when I was 19 years old. It was called Mountain Muster with all these horses. Uh, and I was mainly there to do other fun things and to preach Jesus to them. Uh, not really to ride horses, but they loved horses. On the last night of this camp, they had this thing called a gymkhana. I wonder if you've heard of it. Uh, I had not. <laughs> And they needed a leader from each of the groups to be part of it. And the leader on the two leaders in our group, one of them had a sprained ankle and the other one was me. So I was suddenly encouraged by the youth to jump on this horse. I was like, yeah, I've been on a horse a few times. I might be all right. This is what a gymkhana is, by the way. I'll be okay with this. My other leader saw. He, he knew that I had misplaced confidence. And he said, <laughs> I might have a sprained ankle, but I'm taking this one. And thankfully, he kind of took me aside. He jumped on the horse, and I think we did pretty well in the end. 
But I, I was like, yeah, I had the confidence of a 19-year-old, might I add, white boy, of just like, yeah, I can do this, let's give this a go, right? But I had misplaced confidence. I did not know what I was doing. And I always wondered what would happen. I think this last photo there is probably what would happen. Uh, if I had jumped on that horse that day, I'd been thrown off, and it's kind of a weird-looking scenario there, isn't it? So we can have misplaced confidence, and it's usually about our own ignorance or our own defiance. Like, we just don't know better that we should have it elsewhere. And Paul, he is warning us against a particular type of confidence in the wrong place. He's saying to the Philippians that they must be careful not to have it in themselves, in their own righteousness, in the flesh. So what were they confident in their own flesh to achieve? Well, in verse 1, Paul, uh, he calls the Philippians to continue on rejoicing. We're going to kind of step our way through the passage today. So I'd love to encourage you to open up uh, Philippians chapter 3. Paul again, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And he describes a situation of conflict around them, that there are opposers around them. And we all know how easy it is to stop rejoicing when there is conflict around us. But he reminds them, it's no worries for him to remind them again. He loves to write these words, to bring them joy. And you can see a bit of Paul's own joy as he writes to the Philippians, even though they're surrounded by these opponents. Paul isn't saying, oh, poor me, poor us. We're burdened with troubles, too great to bear. Uh-uh, he rejoices he wants them to remain trusting in God and seeing that God is still good. And he writes for their joy, but also to warn them. See, verse 2, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, dog parks, they are pretty terrifying places, to be honest. Uh, you bring your animal with teeth that's pretty bitey, along with just strangers with their bitey animal as well, and you just hope it goes okay. And that's after thousands of years of domesticating these animals. You can imagine what dogs were like back then. Just vicious, unsafe to be around. Paul teaches them that there are these people, these brutal, ferocious people intent on hurting others. They're evil workers. And this is some serious smack talk coming from the apostle. So why so serious, Paul? Well, he's speaking about these passionate Jewish people, these leaders, who are teaching people that they had to keep fulfilling the Old Testament law to be right with God. They taught that circumcision was required to have this relationship with God. And that was the exact life that Paul was living just moments before he'd met Christ. So why does Paul come down so heavily on these people? Well, this is evil in Paul's mind because Jesus, he has achieved salvation for us. He's already done it all by the cross which he suffered He's fulfilled the Old Testament law and his death was enough to fix the problem we have with God. Of course Jesus is enough. He doesn't require any addition, so it is an evil thing to say you need to add to Jesus' work. Jesus himself on the cross, what does he say? It is finished. 
And Paul believes it and I believe it and we must never add anything to, to Jesus' work. What a wicked thing to go around to say you need to add something. And that's, what, that's why Paul calls them evil workers. And the drama in this passage is that Paul, he used to be one of them. He knows what that life is all about. He tells us a bit about his life. He even uses himself as this example of humility. So far in Philippians, we've heard about Jesus' humility, Timothy's humility, Epaphroditus, and now he gives himself as this example. He builds this case of how he has made this turn from being self-made in his righteousness. And his life before, it sounds pretty impressive. You can look there in verse 4 to 6. See, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, and this is the tribe where the first king of Israel came. He was a Pharisee, the most strict law-abiding Jews. They were passionate. They persecuted just to keep God and his people holy and set apart. Paul had this blind hatred of Christ and Christ's cause, and he, you could see this in his persecution of others, of Christians. And in verse 6, Paul, he's saying that when it comes to the outward observance of the law, he was blameless, the top of the pack. And we all have those moments where we think that about ourselves, where we convince ourselves that there's something about us that sets us apart from others. We're just a bit unique. Maybe it's something that's come innate to us or something we've worked really hard at. Or at least that we're not as bad as others. So, what was this whole lifestyle that Paul was living in? What was it trying to achieve for Paul? What was his confidence in the flesh trying to achieve? Well, verse 8 and 9, you can see it there. A righteousness with God. Particularly to know Christ and to gain Christ by observing the Old Testament law. See, Paul, he was in a way, really genuine in his attempts, right? To relate to God, to find security in God, to find forgiveness in God. But for Paul, his religion, his race, his descent, the way he followed the law, his zeal, even his blamelessness, it was all useless for this pursuit. Paul wanted confidence that he was right with God that he could enjoy God forever. But he finally saw that the flesh can't do it. See, Paul, he met Jesus. He experienced the love of Christ, the grace of Jesus. He realized that his confidence in himself was worthless. It was like dung, he says. Everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. It was a wasted life seeking his own righteousness. It was a misplaced confidence. And we've seen that confidence in ourselves, our own striving for righteousness, it's a lost cause. It's like hoping that a string might hold you up while you go rock climbing, right? It's just not going to work. It's not about the degree in which you trust in that string, right? It's about where you place your confidence. So where are we to place our confidence in? What's the alternative? Well, boasting in Christ, that brings surpassing value. It's all in Jesus, right? We need to learn from Paul's life and the way that Paul went through this massive transformation. 
See, Paul, he had this pursuit for righteousness, but it brought him nothing. It's all rubbish. Rather than bring safety, it actually left Paul vulnerable and guilty before a holy God. And we need to boast in Jesus instead. Put our confidence in him and worship him. You see that in verse 3. It says, For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. You see three things about Christians in this verse. They're the circumcision. They boast not in the flesh, but in Jesus. See, the, the circumcision, it's a kind of a strange title for Christians. Uh, this term, circumcision, comes up a lot in the Old Testament. It's a practice which Israel did. It was to set them apart from other nations, to show that they were holy. And in the New Testament, God shows that salvation, it's not about following those practices anymore. It never really was. Salvation is not about following those practices, but about the Spirit of God dwelling in somebody, changing your heart. So this new kind of phrase comes about in Romans chapter 2, the circumcision of the heart. See, by the Spirit, not by the letter, it says. So when Paul describes Christians as the circumcision, he's saying that we're the true followers of God, with the Spirit dwelling in us. And the second thing he says about Christians there is that they boast in Christ. And it's so tempting to boast in ourselves, isn't it? Our own achievements, our own pedigree. But the passage tells us that we, that we need to only boast in Christ. And the only ones who can do this, it's people who've been found in him and people who have gained Christ. You can see this in verse 8 to 9. I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Now this tiny word in has huge significance for us. It refers to being united with Jesus. And this isn't something that you do yourself. It's something God has done for us. And several times in Philippians, Paul, he uses this word being found. And it's always in this passive sense, which means that God is finding somebody or doing the finding. Uh, you might remember in just last week's passage in Philippians 2.8, Jesus, he was found in human form. And what this kind of phrase is telling us, that it's kind of surprising, right? To find Jesus in human form. It's not exactly straightforward. It's a surprising thing for us. It's, in fact, an unlikely thing. And yet, in this passage, Philippians 3, we have been found in Christ. It is surprising. It's unlikely to find us united to him. But that is what God has done for us. And this union with Christ, it means that we're with him in his sufferings, but also with his glory. Just like you know, being in a submarine, we go where the submarine goes. You're confident it will hold you, and it can go places that you cannot go. If we're truly united with him, then we've somehow been connected with him in his sufferings and glory. And you can see it in verse 10. Paul, he talks about his goal in life now. It's to know the power of his resurrection, the glory, and the fellowship of his sufferings. And Cole, even last week, shared with us how we join in 
Jesus' humility in a life of suffering, but we also join Jesus on the way up in glory to come in resurrected life. And this union with Christ, this spiritual union that we have with Jesus, that's what we're celebrating today in baptism. I don't know if you've heard, but tonight there are people from our church being baptised and many others being confirmed as well. Uh, You can watch online if you'd like to see who that is and hear some of their story. But that's what we're remembering, this spiritual reality tonight. It's a concrete symbol that Jesus, he gave us uh, this symbol of baptism so that we might understand that we've really been united to him. See, as people are dunked in the water, they're declaring that they're dead to sin dead to their old way of life. But as they rise up and they're kind of gasping for that first breath of air, they're declaring that they're raised with Jesus in new life. They've been raised, forgiven, made righteous. This is who they are now, united with him. And Romans 6, it it talks about this exact thing. I'm going to read it out for us as we reflect on baptism for a moment. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin would be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. That's what we're celebrating today in baptism. People no longer enslaved to sin, but united with Jesus in his resurrection. Now today we've seen so far that confidence in yourself is useless, but if you place it in Christ, you can be safe. You can have a resurrected life with him. But how do we get in Christ? Do we just wake up there one day? How do we find ourselves in this place? Well, we need to consider what God's done first, and then also what attitude we need to have as those found in Christ. And this passage, it describes the attitude of Christians in verse 8. Again, there's so much in verse 8. It says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In this verse, I think you see that first we need to deny ourselves. This is part of dying with Christ. It involves recognizing that, you know, living life our own way as our own Lord's actually just ends up in punishment, in our own um, lost way of living. It means recognising that Jesus, he's forgiven us by his death. And that actually this changes how we view our lives. In fact, our lives are no longer ours anymore. We belong to God. We consider everything else tiny in comparison to knowing Christ and belonging to him. And that's what you see Paul say. Everything else is tiny compared to knowing Christ. And secondly, the attitude... So the first thing we need to do as Christians is to deny ourselves. Secondly, is to treasure Christ. See him as of surpassing value. Knowing that there's nothing else in life as good as Jesus. Loving him and praising him. To deny ourselves and treasure Christ. And that's really what faith is all about. Notice in the passage it talks about faith a few times. It's simply about denying, counting the cost, not denying yourself, 
and treasuring Jesus. And in Christ, we have this righteousness that is by faith. And it actually comes from God. That's the only way we're safe in him. And God has done something for us to bring us into Christ. It talks about it in verse 12. We didn't read it out at the start of today, but hopefully you can flick there as we speak. It talks about how Jesus has seized us. This is what it says. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. So you get in to union with Christ by God grabbing hold of you, by him shining in your heart. And those in Christ, they've seen the beauty of Jesus. They've recognized the awe of Christ simply because God has grabbed hold of them and shone in their hearts. And it's a life-changing result. They will have confidence in this life and also confidence which isn't just sort of lazy or, or stands still, but confidence which strives. That's our last idea we'll consider today. See, this confidence in Christ, it's not a kind of confidence that makes you, you know, lazy or presumptuous about your salvation. Having this confidence in God means that we have the same kind of goals that Paul had, and he certainly was not lazy or standing still. See, having this assurance means we make it our continual goal to know Christ more, to persevere in our faith, counting all else as rubbish compared to treasuring Christ. And Paul, he wants to know Jesus. And as he says that, I don't think he means, you know, in a bookish way to to learn everything he can about him, but to experience Jesus, to taste and see that the Lord is good, that he's really worth treasuring. And that's Paul's goal now, to know Christ in that way. To understand that, yeah, Jesus is worth my entire life. And Christians, they will persevere in their faith. Paul, he knows that he actually hasn't finished a race yet. He knows that there is more to come. He's got to keep trusting in Jesus. He's still running the race. And yet, even though he recognizes this, that he's kind of not reached the end yet, he is entirely assured of his salvation as Jesus has made him known, as we looked at just a moment before. Jesus has grabbed hold of him, so he's completely assured. See, assurance for Christians, it doesn't make us you know, cavalier about obedience, like we can take it or leave it. We don't really uh, care about following God. But in this passage, we see... We're to continue denying ourselves and treasuring Christ. We're continuing to seek holiness and to praise Christ. See, the faith which brings us to truly be united with Jesus is a persevering faith, not just like a flash in the pan. Well, today, we began thinking about how we can all crave confidence in the day-to-day things that we go through in life. And we've shifted our thought to having confidence in Jesus, being assured of what he's done for us. And once we've found confidence in him, well, those outside kind of day-to-day things we go through, it's actually okay if we kind of 
If it goes up and down, our confidence in those areas, our self-esteem may not always be there. And that's okay because God has already achieved what we really need. God has already given us a relationship with himself. He's already united us with Jesus. We have all we've ever needed in Jesus. And that means it doesn't really matter if our self-esteem waxes and wanes. So, you know, if it helps you this week, you can go on and keep singing Sia, Unstoppable. I won't stop you there. See, it's great to have self-esteem, but that's not where our confidence ultimately lies. It will fluctuate over time. But that shouldn't cause us to question our relationship with God. Our relationship hangs on what Jesus has done for us, even in our fleeting feelings. Jesus has taken hold of us and we've been found in him. Let's pray now to him. I give him great thanks for what he's done in our lives. Please pray with me. Our dear Father, um, we come to you knowing that we're not always confident in our lives. Uh, sometimes we, are, we have misplaced confidence or confidence in ourselves which isn't justified. Uh, we come to you acknowledging our sin, but knowing that you're a gracious God. We thank you that it doesn't matter how much confidence we have in ourselves. It is Christ who brings us to you. We thank you that we can be completely assured in him. We thank you, Father, that you, that you have taken hold of us. You have shone your light into our lives. You've shown us the beauty of Christ. And this week I do pray that you would help us to treasure Christ. In the small uh, ways in our life, Throughout our week, we do pray that you would help us to treasure Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.